Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today, Leah Barrett, is living with cancer. The diagnosis was made several years ago. And in this conversation, we explore what that diagnosis has meant to her and how it has changed her perspective on life. It was an enormous privilege to share time with Leah Barrett. Leah Barrett, you're very welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to be speaking with you. And I want to start with something that you said when I was introduced to you, that you feel that cancer has been your greatest teacher. That's an incredible statement. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. I, I'm honored and, and appreciate it and excited to be talking to you. Um, I know it's a bit of a cliche, I think, to, to think about how hardships can teach us. And it's true for me. <laughs> so, you know, my background is in health and wellness, specifically mental health. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So I sit with people through some of their hardest things, and I find it an honor and a privilege to do so. And I I feel like what cancer has done has brought so much humility, not that I thought I needed more, but I guess I did, (laughs) into better understanding what it's like to suffer and, and be human. And so when I sit with people who are seeking solace and a better understanding of their pain, I feel closer to them. I, I feel, yeah, I, I feel like my depth of empathy has increased profoundly. And, and not just in what I do professionally, but I think just moving through my world. You know, the other thing I'll comment on is that, which I think is a little ironic, I guess, coming full circle, is right out of grad school, I was newly married. And within six months of of that incredible experience, my husband was diagnosed with an aggressive non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I, you know, to, to say this, um, I don't, I mean, basically brought to my knees and, and, and was in this position of being a caregiver as a very young person and felt committed to, to show up as my best self, not having any training to, to be a caregiver. He actually ended up having a bone marrow transplant and we moved across the country to a center that had what we deemed the most experience in getting someone through a really scary procedure. So not to get bogged down in that story, but it, it, it changed my life just to say that, you know, mildly. And and coming through that, I decided that I wanted to focus my profession in mental health in the world of cancer and support services and relationship around caregiving and, and all that goes into being on that receiving end. And I did. I started working as a young clinician in embedded in an oncology clinic and, and helped inform all those who were giving care in ways that I hoped would increase their perception and understanding of what it's like to be on the receiving end. (laughs) Cause I felt like I had a first row seat into understanding that like grad school wasn't teaching me any of that. And I'm saying this to you now, because I thought that when I was diagnosed the first time about seven and a half years ago, that I would be better prepared. And because I had been not only a caregiver, but I had been a teacher 
I'd work with people who were dying. I had been sitting with people going through really hard stuff around cancer. And honestly, I, I think I had an academic understanding or, or I probably had more than that, but I guess I thought I'd be better prepared when I was diagnosed. <laughs> and I think what I'm saying is when you're the person who's receiving that news, I don't think anything can prepare you for that. If anything, I think what happened was it was like, I use the analogy of working in a restaurant in the kitchen and like knowing what that's like back there (laughs) and kind of like being then a person who's in a customer in that restaurant. And you're you're like, well, but I've been in the kitchen. I know what goes on. I'm going to be a little careful out here in the restaurant. I feel like what happened as a newly diagnosed patient was like, oh no, I kind of know what goes on behind the scenes. I'm a little worried now (laughs) about being the person who's going to be in this patient role. That's what ended up happening psychologically for me versus being really comforted. And so if anything, it brought a lot of anxiety and a lot of trepidation. And I've had to work with that in the whole seven and a half years I've been in and out of treatment. Now, it's actually been to my advantage because I've, I've, ha- I've had so many experiences being a patient and being a caregiver and being a practitioner and being um, a teacher in oncology that it's now worked to my advantage, basically, instead of being scared to death about what's going to come at me because I sort of know what's going to come at me. Like I've seen it from the other side. So that, for example, is one of the major lessons that cancer has taught me is to learn how to be a patient to learn and, and that you know the definition of that word. But also to to be gentle and kind and compassionate with those who are giving me care too, because I've been with them. I've I've supported them. I've supported the oncologist. I've been a social worker. I've supported the nurses. And so that's been one of the greatest teachers as well. So anyway, it's a very long answer to the <laughs> to your very first question. You're somebody who comes across like you've got it all together. You've you've really seemed to have nailed this business of being someone who has to live with this illness. Is that how you really feel? No, (laughs) no, not at all. I feel like I'm constantly, you know, winging it. Here's where I am in this whole cancer process. I, I've had, and I've had two primary cancers. So my first diagnosis was, was stage three ovarian cancer then I had a prophylactic risk-reducing double mastectomy after finding out I carried the BRCA1 gene. And then a year later, I actually was diagnosed with breast cancer. Very, very, <laughs> the odds are so low. And so I, I went through pretty intensive treatment for that. And then a year after that, I've recurred with ovarian cancer and have been pretty much in treatment for recurrent ovarian cancer. So I, I'm sharing all that with you because you know, each time that has happened, I think I wish for myself that I would like have handled this better. And I've decided that I don't handle it better. I have wisdom though. In other words, this most recent chemotherapy regimen, which I know people can't see us, but you know, my hair is, I'm bald. It's just beginning to grow back now. And the wisdom I've gained was I wasn't so petrified of what was going to come at me treatment wise this time, because I have wisdom. I it's like, I understand what it feels like to be that sick. I understand what it feels like to find a rhythm in going through chemotherapy. That's wisdom. But I still fall apart. I don't have it together. I'm still afraid of death and dying. I'm still afraid of suffering. I, I, all of those things, I think, are just being human. 
And I, and I thought maybe I'd be better at those things, but I've decided for me, I want to, I want to be alive. Even, even as I prepare for death and dying, I think there's this instinct, there's this will to stay alive. And so all the emotions, all the thought processes, all the three in the morning fears are there. The wisdom is I've been here before. I, I know what it's like to feel sick. I know what it's like to suffer. The first time around, I didn't. I've never been sick in my life. I was never in the hospital. I was very healthy, very fit. Was Even though I'd been the person sitting next to the person, right? That's different. I, I was still an observer. There was no way I could fully appreciate and understand what that was like until I was actually in that seat. And so that first time, I was a hot mess. Now, I still have all the fears. I think that's the humanness part. But I appreciate the wisdom I've gained. You know, I feel like I'm kind of going pro at being a, being a cancer patient. Like I've had so many surgeries. I've been through so much chemotherapy. I've had, I mean, you name it. But I, I, think, I think the fear part of, of suffering and death and dying, that's, I, I think that's just going to be fresh as far as I can tell for, until I get to that chapter. I'm struggling to grasp the enormity of what you are experiencing. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm in awe of you because I'm thinking, here's a woman who's been through all of this that most of us can't even imagine in the course of our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And yet you are so rational and you're so eloquent and brave. Where does that come from? Where does that strength come from within you? Oh, thank you. First of all, I take that to heart because I don't feel those things often. I think, well, so here's what happened when I was first diagnosed. I, I got in touch with a lot of shame. I, it's interesting. I felt like something must be wrong with me. Not that I did something wrong to get cancer, but I was like something, I was, I was like inherently flawed somehow. And I remember wanting to hide and I remember being afraid to tell anyone what was going on. And then I decided I can't do that. I, I'm not going to do that. And so it was like this 180 for me. I actually leaned in hard to what I was going through. And I was very public with it. And I invited people into my process. And I talked about what I was going through. And I think, I think that's where this grounded, rational, brave aura thing <laughs> that you're picking up on. Because I just claimed it. I just claimed it. You know, I've, I've always wanted to live transparently and authentically. And cancer really challenged me to do that because that first diagnosis, I was on the brink of not doing that. I was going to not do that. I was going to hide. I was because of this overwhelming shame feeling that I got in touch with right away. And when I decided I'm not going to let that be true, I'm good. I, I still need to be authentic and I have to face this. I think what happened was this slow resiliency started to build because I was living congruently. I was like, if this is this, this is me and this is this hard stuff and I'm going to live with it, 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 the feedback I got internally was a strength and a resilience because I think living congruently, and I tell my clients this all the time in this psychotherapeutic you know, setting I'm with, it's like when you're incongruent, when you're living a life that is not according to your values, it's a slow death. I mean, there's so many things that happen around that. It's so painful. 
So what's been beautiful about me leaning into cancer, even though it's been really scary and hard and it's so vulnerable, is I do feel this resilience. I do feel this strength because it's congruent. I'm just, I'm living this transparent, authentic experience. Yes, the intellectual in me understands that and can Mm -hmm. piece that together. But there's something more that I sense in this conversation. Uh, Some people call it grace. Some people call it, there are all kinds of interesting ways in which people frame what you're experiencing and how you're coming across to those of us who are looking in from the outside. Do you think about it in that way? Do you see that there being something more that appears to be carrying you through these dark times? I've often wondered about that. I actually wonder about that a lot. I don't know what words to use to describe that. It's like, it's almost for me beyond words. Like there's a, there is a awesomeness to it, if that makes sense. And here's, here's another sort of ironic way to think about it for me is it's actually, it actually feels very simple. In other words, when I struggle to find words that make, that means to me intellectually, that must be this really complex concept. But when I, again, I let go of trying to figure it out, it feels like it's just a, part of a natural process. In other words, I feel more at one with with the flow of nature and animals and and the evolution of birth and death. And and when I when I relax into that flow of that rhythm and I don't intellectualize it, maybe that's the grace you're picking up on because it's I don't have to it's it's like I don't have to fight anything. It's it's I don't have to put too much meaning into this. I'm just yet another animal in this process. And that it's very relaxing to me to think of my my path that way. You know, I you know when I watch an animal in its natural environment, and I watch it, a bird have babies, for example. You know, and and a hawk. You know, this is in my backyard, by the way, because I've become a big birder <laughs> since I'm, since the pandemic and being in chemotherapy isolation. And so I learn a lot by watching, and I and I think about well, here's this Cooper's hawk that just flew into my backyard and you know, preyed on a woodpecker and i just watched that happen and and that's the cycle of life and and when i can allow myself to think about what i'm going through in that natural process i'm not afraid anymore and i'm not you know there's nothing special or magical or meaningful about what i'm going through it's just that and it's very reductionistic and it's very very simple but when i can get at that peaceful place then maybe that's again what you're picking up on like when i don't overthink it then i'm I'm at peace with it all. Somehow it feels as if you've got your eyes open and the rest of us are blundering around in the dark. And I'm (laughs) thinking really about all the issues that we face on a day-to-day basis. You're probably laughing at us right now because the (laughs) things that really don't matter, you know, the guy that cuts you off when you're trying to get over the other side of the road, the irritations that we experience every day, the little worries about deadlines looming and whatever else, it really doesn't matter, does it? And if it doesn't matter, this is the gift that you bring us. You bring us that insight, which we would not want to have because we'd have to go through what you're experiencing to get it. But if only you could tell us what it is make us see the light. That would be fantastic. How, how would right. you approach that? Oh, thank you. That, yeah, well, that's a gift. That's what I mean by a teacher. I, that, that, I am so relieved that I don't care about that stuff. I really don't, you know? 
And I don't know if it takes this, like you're saying, like, do we have to go through this experience to release that stuff that we get so hooked by? Probably. If I were to share anything about how to get there, it would, I mean, it's not easy. It would be really looking at belief systems around what you think is so important to care that much about and unraveling ego, you know, and deconstructing your importance and really, really deciding, is it worth the pain that you're creating? Because most of what we experience is pain that we create because we have some story about something in our lives that should be a certain way, whether it's we shouldn't have been cut off or this job shouldn't be this hard or my relationship's supposed to be better. Or, I mean, we just create stories around all of that. And I feel like what we can learn is we can write different stories. We can have different expectations. And if we're asking ourselves not to suffer so much with these attachments we have to how we think things are supposed to go, then let go of thinking things are supposed to go that way. And it's it's an easier way to be in the world. And it really is. And I know that's hard for people. I know that's a, it's an easy ask, but it's a hard thing to actually make happen. You're right. It's hard because we assume that life goes on forever, don't we? We assume that, uh-huh. this, this, that we're, we, we don't re- recognize our own mortality. We right. don't know what that date is on that piece of stone, which will say born on and right. went elsewhere on this date. We don't know what that date is. For right. you, you probably think that you have an inkling what that date might look like, or you might have thought the date was imminent and thankfully it hasn't been, but you might have thought that. And then your eyes are open because you recognize that the minutiae of life doesn't really matter. Right. And so how do we help people? I mean, if we we think it's our place to help people recognize that their awareness of their mortality is something that can actually be this really beautiful thing. I mean, that's what, the, that's what existentialism is all about. And, and that when you can really embrace that, it can be moving, right? It can, it can be clarifying. It can be galvanizing. And that's absolutely true for me. It went, again, from this intellectually, I'm going to die one day to, no, no, I'm pretty sure I get it now. <laughs> you know, I, I know it's imminent. You know, I mean, maybe I'll have some, you know, accident falling from some, you know, top of a building and that'll kill me, but probably not. It'll be one of these cancers. And the other thing to kind of circle back to something you said about where do I get this grace? And I said, well, because I'm just like any other animal in this world. I, when I look at you, I, I know you're going to die. And I know that sounds really kind of awful (laughs) to say, but that's comforting to me. Like I, I just might do it sooner than you. I just, this is a very natural thing. <laughs> and I, I went from feeling ashamed of my diagnosis, like I'm, something must be wrong with me, to there's nothing wrong with me. That my death, my imminent death, is just a very natural process. And my knowing about it is the beauty. This is, this is why I don't get bothered by very many things. you know. And, and while I went from oh my God, I know I'm going to die and that's awful and paralyzing and scary and I want to be like those other animals that can't metacognate, they can't think about their thoughts. Two, I'm kind of glad I can think about my thoughts because now I can do something about it. I can sit with this awareness and 
and have this growing appreciation. And that's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome, Leah. Mm -hmm. But what do you really worry about? (laughs) Are there things that you worry about? Oh, sure. I, all the time, you know, I was actually, (laughs) I was actually just talking to BJ Miller today and he's, he's like, I feel like I get to kind of share my confessions to him about, you know, my deepest experiences that are, I think, silly at times, given what I'm going through. And I said something to him like, am I doing this right? <laughs> this, this whole existential processing thing. Like, how do I do this? I mean, these are the things I worry about now instead of, I don't know, the stuff that most people worry about. And he's just laughing at me like, there is no one right way to do this. Yeah. Like, I know. but so, So, for example, I just finished some pretty hardcore treatment and I am feeling pretty lost. Like, I know going through treatment, I've done it so many times before that, at least for me, the way I go through it is I'm just trying to get through it. And it gives me a purpose and a mission just to get through it. And I also know that when, if, if you're lucky enough to finish treatment, because at this point, there wasn't a guarantee I was even going to get through it or I was going to respond to treatment or anything. But now I've got this sort of new experience of, looks like the disease responded. We're going to take a break now. And I'm like, well, I'm lost now. I don't have, <laughs> I don't know how to do this part anymore. And so what do I worry about? I'm like, well, things like, I thought I was going to die. So now I've got a little more time. (laughs) What am I supposed to do with this time? Those are the things I worry about. So it's not, it's not the stuff I used to worry about when I thought I had all this time to live. Like, what do I look like? Or, you know, how's this relationship going? It's more this pressure I put on myself to use my time well. And it's a, it's a funny thing because I want to be like everybody else. I want to like veg out on the couch and waste a whole day watching junk TV. <laughs> Can't a dying person want that too versus I need to use this time really well, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I've kind of had this weird little internal battle. Like I want to, I want to not think about creating meaning right now. I want to just waste today and that should be okay for me. Right. But then I kind of get trapped in all that. Like maybe it's not. Maybe I should really use use my time well. Those kinds of things. Yeah, I think I'd be wedging out uh, if I were <laughs> in that situation. But having said all of that, the, the reality is that we are human. And as humans, we're constantly judging ourselves. And that doesn't seem to end, does it? It doesn't no. end with a diagnosis. We're constantly doing a commentary in the back of our minds about what we look like and where we are, and what we should be saying and whatever else. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think should, again, this is planning. Do you plan what you're going to do in the next while or do you just let things flow? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I actually have my own podcast, which is a little bit of a, I didn't mean it to be this way, but it's a bit of a audio journal of what I've been going through. And I invite guests on and we talk about living with existential hard stuff. But one of the most recent podcasts that I just a monologue of me, you know, audio journaling about what I'm going through was titled, I don't make plans. And, and I, I don't for two reasons. One, it's out of managing disappointment. I've, I've made plans before and I've thought long-term and and I've been crushed. You know, I've, I've had dreams and I wanted to attach myself to those dreams. And then sure enough, the cancer came back. And all of a sudden, the, my life came to a screeching halt and I'm scheduling a surgery or, you know, 
I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to, it feels like I'm like breaking up with life, if that makes sense. Like life and I are in this relationship and, (laughs) and I don't want to like make too many plans with her or him. And we're just going to like take this one day at a time life, aren't we? Because I don't really want to be hurt in the long run with being disappointment, being disappointed with these plans that I've had. Do I want to make plans? Oh my gosh, I think that's human. That's what I mean by that battle. Of course I want to make plans. Of course, you know, or I I get jealous when I listen to people about next year, they're going to the Alps. Like, yeah, I have no idea if I'm going to be here. I can't even think like that. And I, it, it hurt. I mean, there's this like twinge of jealousy around that. But I also think what a privilege. They have no idea really if they're going to be alive. I mean, I used to think like that. I used to think I've got all these years and I'm going to like save money for retirement. I get it. And then I secretly think, well, I mean, they could get some awful news pretty soon and I don't wish that upon them. But that's that's the privilege I think we have as healthy people or not even just that. I don't want to just make this about d- disease. I mean, this is awful to, to, to talk about tragedy for people, but we balance thinking that we have ability and we have material goods and we have our health and, and, and we live as if we have all these years, right? Beyond today. I used to do that. I also am incredibly aware that that is a precarious notion. And so I've decided I'd rather forego looking forward and all the joy that comes with looking forward to something to live in the now because to me, it's self-preservation. Honestly, it's the whole, I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be hurt. And there is beauty to living in the now because we talk about that all the time. There truly is. And there's some sadness and grief and letting go of making plans. If I can reflect that back to you, Leah, you're living life to the full. Incredibly, Uh you are living life to the full where people who are making those kind of plans don't really see the whole picture. And there is beauty in the moment. There is beauty in watching the birds swoop down on one another in your backyard and and all the other things that you've described. And that may be the message that is coming out the loudest in all of this, that mm. this is, it's not somehow the end of something, but the beginning of something even greater, which is the beginning of real moment-to-moment appreciation of what it is to be alive. Yeah, no, that's very true. And at least unique well, all I know is cancer. I haven't really had any other major life crisis that has taught me anything. So I can only speak from my position here. But even as something, you know, we t- we started this conversation saying this, these diseases have been this, you know, amazing teacher. So even at a simple level, like, and I, and I often refer to things like bodily functions and sensory experiences, and, and this disease will rob you <laughs> of, of some of the most basic what like taste and smell and and touch and feel and you know i i am now starting to taste some things again because i i finished iv chemo about 5 weeks ago and i can smell some some things again and i'm not in kind of constant pain like i was and i have a little more energy and i, I can't i it's again i know this sounds very cliche but when you are no longer able to experience sensorily what we as humans can experience in those five senses, and that's taken from you, and you you have the gift of being able to experience those things again, that juxtaposition, 
is powerful. And it, I mean, this stuff brings tears to my eyes because I know, again, it sounds very simple, but to the absence of feeling sick, the absence of feeling, the absence of feeling in pain, to be able to taste a strawberry again, to not take for granted that your digestive system works. <laughs> These things are the most important things to me, pretty much. Like I've got it, I've got it clear about what my priorities are. You know, everything else is bonus on top of that, you know? I will take I will I will forever be grateful for my body and its ability to function because I'm so aware of how quickly that can go sideways. Thea Barrett, it's been an enormous pleasure speaking with you today. There are great gifts and great wisdom in this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. And I'm I'm really hoping that we'll have another conversation very soon. We're not planning anything. We'll just go <laughs> with the flow. <laughs> it's been such a joy and such an honor. And, and thank you so much for inviting me. The Health Design Podcast, sponsored by the Patient and Physician Advocacy Alliance. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.